0: Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you.
1: Good morning, family. Welcome to our streaming family. Can we greet them in Jesus' name? Put your hands together. My, my. Good morning. Good morning, Warners. We love you. And whoever you are looking in, peeking in today, give us some time. Stick with us. I want to encourage you today. We're in a brand new series called "A Macedonian Moment. And you say, what on earth does that mean? Well, last week we introduced you to the churches of Macedonia. These were the churches of the Philippians and the Thessalonians and the Bereans. These are the churches that the Apostle Paul initially founded, and they were marked by a generosity of spirit. They were so gracious in their giving to one another. They were so generous in their desire to help and give hope and encouragement to others that the Scripture says they gave themselves into poverty through the abundance of their liberality. And I know I'm talking to generous-hearted lambs. Today, So this message is a word of encouragement. So last week we pointed out that the Macedonian Christians were so generous and that God is posturing right now in all of our lives to become very generous himself in pouring out Macedonian blessings. What's a Macedonian blessing? A blessing exceeding abundantly above and beyond all you could ask or think. You think you could maybe think of opening your heart to a blessing like that. You know, it's very difficult because we are addicted to the crumbs when God wants to give us the bakery. Remember, even with the Willy Wonka (laughs) movie, right? Little Charlie Bucket wants just a bigger candy bar, and Wonka wants to give him the candy factory. Spoiler alert, sorry if you haven't seen it. The original, not the Johnny Depp film. I've got a golden ticket. I mean... I believe that we are on the brink of a personal Macedonian blessing of generosity that is going to crown your life. It's time for us to open our vistas today, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to introduce a discussion of open doors with a question about closed doors. You know, I wonder how many doors you walk through in a day. You ever thought about it? What are doors anyway? You can't go from where you are now to where you want to be without going through a door. We walk through doors all day long, and we never think about them. But what about closed doors? Have you ever faced a closed door in your life? What are your feelings about closed doors? Ever had a door slammed in your face, something you thought was going to be a first-order choice of yours, only to be turned away? In the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ is likened unto the one who holds the key of David, and the doors he closes, no one can open, and the doors he opens, no one can close. We're going to talk today about Macedonian guidance. We're going to just sort of flip around with this idea of Macedonia, and and I want to introduce you to our text today in the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about how God often opens doors for us after an extended season of closed doors. Anyone that's facing a closed door, this is an encouraging word for you. Anyone wishing and hungering For God to open a door, not just any door, but a major door that would bring transformation to your life, this message is for you. We're going to read a little text in Acts 16, 6 through 10. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. We're going to use some names and then I'll describe what they mean. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. This is Asia Minor over in contemporary Turkey. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In this picture, I want you to see that the Apostle Paul, he has already been on his first missionary journey, and during that journey, he founded many, many churches. But initially, uh, I'm encouraged the apostles were just sort of haphazard. Uh, uh, They started preaching in Cyprus because Paul's friend Barnabas lived in Cyprus, and and then they went to a place called Pisidia, the coast. It happened to be the nearest coast to Cyprus. And so initially, Paul seemed to be banging around and uh, using the Helen Keller School of Spirit Leadership, you know, you know, sort of like you, right? You don't really know where to go. You don't really know what the future holds, but you just sort of show up and hold your coffee and like being at a party with a drink. You know, you don't really know what's going to happen. And and so in the first missionary journey, Paul is used by the Lord, but it's very haphazard. It's almost accidental. He just sort of winds up like you, Forrest Gump of the body of Christ. You just sort of wind up places and you don't know how you got there and you don't know if you're ever going to go back there again. But in the second missionary trip that we're reading about right now, it starts differently. It's not haphazard. God wants now to lead Paul in a deliberate outreach that will change the world. Beloved, in this text today, the greatest open door in the history of Christianity was about to happen. Paul did not know of it in advance. Did you know in your life you may be postured at the greatest open door of your life? I don't care what your life has been up until now. I don't know how many doors have been closed in your face, but we're going to see after a season of closed doors, there's going to be the greatest open door. We call it the Macedonian door. Christianity was founded in the east. It is going to leave its eastern home, and it is now going to shift west where Rome itself is going to become the vista of the Apostle Paul. Did you know you've been rehearsing all your life for your life right now? The talents you have, the gifts, the abilities, the setbacks, the pain, the suffering, everything is being woven by God. Everything prior to now has built you into the who you've become in order to be postured to walk through the greatest open door. But we're going to find out that sometimes you wander a bit. Sometimes you wander, and you have door after door after door closed in your face before God opens the major door of your life. We're going to look at some reasons why God closes doors in just a minute. But I want to teach you a principle today. Some of the greatest advances in the world are made not as a first choice, but as a second choice. Have you found that in life? Some things that you really wanted to happen as a first choice winds up being God's second choice. Let me give you some examples. Rayon, the first synthetic silk, was discovered by French chemist Chardonnay, an assistant to Louis Pasteur, when he spilled a bottle of collodion. Some things in life are a result of you not getting your first choice But your second choice, let me give you one you might like. Silly putty was discovered by James Wright on the way to solving another problem, finding a rubber substitute for the United States during World War II. Advances made not as a first choice, but as a second choice. And how many of you love silly putty? Amen. I still do. If there's any in the room, it'll wind up in my hands. But no one set out to make silly putty. It was a secondary thing. Scotchgard moisture repellent used to protect fabrics and leather was discovered accidentally in 1953 by Patsy Sherman. One of the components she was investigating is a rubber material that wouldn't deteriorate when in contact with aircraft fuel spilled onto her tennis shoe and would not wash out. She then considered the spill as a protectant against spills. In life and in the kingdom of God, Sometimes the first door you want open won't open, but the second door winds up being God's choice. Hold on, it gets better. Penicillin was discovered by Alexander Fleming. He failed to disinfect cultures of bacteria when leaving for his vacation, only to find them contaminated with penicillin molds, which killed bacteria. Secondary choices. The microwave oven invented by Percy Spencer occurred while testing a magnetron for radar radar sets at Raytheon Corporation. He noticed that a peanut candy bar in his pocket had melted when exposed to radar waves. That's where your microwave came from. It was a secondary thing. And all throughout life, we're going to find out Paul's first choice, and it was a good choice. Notice the funny names I mentioned up front. It said, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not let them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troy. Now, we're going to get to Troy in a few minutes. Brad Pitt, remember the film? Remember Homer's Iliad? All right. We're going to get to Troy. We're going to get to a very historical landmark place, which is going to open a new vista to the Christian gospel. It's going to shift from east to west. It's going to leave its birth home, and it's going to target Rome itself. God is just about to open up, after a series of closed doors, the largest vista in Paul's life. And by the way, did you know Paul was prepared his entire life for what he's about to see? And you have been prepared your whole life for the door that's about to be open to you. You know, Sting says that he rehearsed his whole life to be a rock star, starting at 12 with a guitar in front of the mirror. He said, I always knew I was going to be this, and I rehearsed to be this my whole life. Every shred, every detail of my life contributed toward this end. And you also are going to find that every setback, every gift you have and don't have, every experience you've had and haven't had, has prepared you for a Macedonian moment where the Lord is about to open the biggest door of your life. You know, I think it's time that we pray bigger prayers. I think it's time that we realize that God first will lead us negatively for a while. Now look at, look at the text here. It says that Paul, his first choice was to go preach in proconsular Asia. Now, all these funny names, Phrygia, Galatia, Mysia, and Bithynia, those doors, if you went through them, would have led him to the greatest cities of the day, Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Nice, Nicomedia, and Chalcedon. So Paul had a good idea. He said, let's go further east, and I would like to go. You ever had a good idea, but it's just not a God idea? It, you know, the leading of God, God's guidance is not logical. If life were logical, uh, men would ride side saddle. <clears throat> God's guidance is a zigzag guidance. Why? It looks crazy. Do you, know why, do you know why God's guidance is so zigzaggy? Do you know why he closes so many doors? Not just to develop character in us, but to confuse the enemy. The enemy is not omniscient, he isn't all-knowing, so he is constantly applying his vastly superior logic to circumstance, and God wants to fake him out, so he leads us in strange directions that we certainly don't understand. And the enemy also is confused. You know, God's been confusing the devil all your life. He couldn't find you because God's been hiding you. He's been hiding you because you've been doing a zigzag path. You go, when I was young, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I thought it was just going to be a straight path. Oh, good for you, you thought. You're not paid for that. When you commit yourself to Christ's lordship, you're the lamb, he's the shepherd, you must follow him wherever he leads and he will lead you to the apex of the mountains and he will lead you down into the valleys where all the fruit and the water is and he will lead you everywhere in between. And we see Paul, his first idea is, hey, let's hit the nerve centers of the ancient world. Let's win the big mega cities and then once we do that, good idea. But it wasn't time because those cities were not yet ripe. Did you know sometimes we're pulling on fruit that isn't even ripe? We're we're trying to harvest fruit God isn't even working on. That's how embarrassing my ministry was as a young man. I was trying to pull fruit off the tree that God would have to say, Honey, I'm not even working on that piece of fruit yet. So don't pick that. When I was a boy in Ankeny, Iowa, we had these sour apples. They came in every year, and I did it every year. I would see the little green apples come up. I would get hungry. I'd climb the tree, and I'd pull as many as I could, put them in a bag, and begin to eat as many as I possibly could until the, the spirit of death stood over me <laughs> while on the toilet. <laughs> And my mom would do the same sermon. Yeah, they're not ripe. You shouldn't eat them. It's like, okay, mom, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Have you ever done that? You, you pick fruit that isn't ripe. You're pulling at stuff God isn't even working on. Well, Paul's idea was good. Let's go to Ephesus. That would be the big mother church. If we take Ephesus, we take the strongholds of the enemy. Paul will wind up at Ephesus later. But did you know in the kingdom, God's timing is Everything. It's everything. The Apostle Paul's first choice was to say, hey, let's hit Ephesus. Not now, God says. So he gets four no's in his plan. Ever had a closed door? And these no's were never explained in his lifetime. He gets a no. You can't go here. You can't go there. You can't. It's called negative guidance. God will sometimes slam doors. There was a movie called The Panic Room where Jodie Foster is trying to catch this killer in her house and she winds up, spoiler alert again, she nails every door shut that she wants shut so she can lead the murderer through the doors she wants in order to get him. And that's what God is doing to the enemy in your life. He's nailing doors shut. And it's your first intent to go through door number one. And God has nailed door number one shut. So you try door number two. That's shut. And, we, and then you hit the door that's open and think that you've done something amazing. I've discovered the open door. God goes, no, you haven't, darling. I've negatively led you through the house. And I love that. Jodie Foster led that fool. And the devil is like a shark. Once he gets in a feeding frenzy, he's not thinking clearly. Ever seen those sharks when their eyes roll back and they'll eat one another? You can't stop a shark feeding frenzy. And that's what God's doing to the devil right now. Look in the world. You see the chaos? It's a tantrum. It's a feeding frenzy. There's no logic to it at all. There's no rationale to it at all. And God, by closing certain doors in your life at a certain time, things you think are the first desire of your heart, he'll lead you by the closed door to the door that he has securely opened for you. Oh, beloved, I don't care how many doors have said no to you. It's a horrible feeling to get a closed door, isn't it? Especially when you think that your whole destiny is conditioned on it. I want to introduce you to seven facts concerning closed doors. Look down a little bit, and and let's have a little bit of fun. Ready? Number one, closed doors may force us down different paths in the company of different people. Here's some positive reasons why you may have run into a series of closed doors. Because God, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. He may close the door in order to force you down another road that will advance you with other people. You know, I was dealing with someone recently who's got a best friend that is corrupting their lives. And I said, it's time for a new best friend. Sometimes a closed door will force you down a different path in the company of different people. Secondly, closed doors may keep us from sacrificing the eternal on the altar of the temporary. That's a great quote. Never sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporary. And there are certain doors you can go through, and if you get through that thing alive, you will sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporary. That means you will take something that is long-term valuable and sacrifice it on that altar just for the moment. Remember Esau, the brother of Jacob, he's out hunting all day. He's hungry. He's starving. And, and Jacob comes up and takes advantage of his vulnerability and says, want a bowl of little soup? And he goes, sure. He goes, okay, give me your birthright, and I'll give you this little bowl of soup. And he sacrifices his future birthright and position in God's kingdom to get a bowl of soup. Jacob, you dog. He's a heel catcher at this point in the Bible. He's taking advantage of someone's vulnerability in order to get them to sacrifice what is eternal on the altar of the temporary. Sometimes God closes a door for you because if you went through it, you would have been toast. And all the people said, amen. Sometimes next, God closes doors to one person so he can open a door to another person. In our text here, during the first missionary journey, it was Paul and Barnabas. Remember, it was a a twosome. It was a pea, a pea and a carrot. Whenever you, they did ministries, it, it was Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was the great encourager. Barnabas and Paul are mentioned together. You can't say one name without thinking of the other. Well, Paul and Barnabas happened to have a disagreement a huge disagreement. Did you know Christians can have disagreements? In fact, the Bible says their contention was so sharp they couldn't speak to one another. And what was it about? Well, Barnabas and Saul took his cousin, Barnabas's cousin, John Mark. And in the middle of their first missionary journey, John Mark skipped town, abandoned them. He's supposed to be their supportive aid, and he leaves and goes back home because he misses mommy. Paul is so offended by this this kid that when the second journey is coming, Barnabas and Paul say, well, let's go back and strengthen the churches. And Barnabas goes, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to take John Mark. And Paul said, there'll be snowballs in hell when John Mark is my assistant again. He screwed us over so bad last time. No. Barnabas goes, yes. And they had a contention that ripped their friendship apart. So Paul, Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go to Cyprus, and then Paul gets a new guy, new buddy, named Silas, and he finds a new young man who's 20 years old named Timothy. And so through God's crazy math, he multiplies by dividing. He adds by subtracting. And now we have two teams that are equally paired to change the world. By the way, just another spoiler alert, later in Paul's life, he reconciles with Barnabas and John Mark and considers him a valuable young assistant in the kingdom. Don't, don't, don't toilet paper somebody and judge them with a label forever that you can't get off their bottle. Someone may be a screw up on Monday. That doesn't mean they're going to be that two years from Monday. All right, so so Paul has a whole new team, but Mark had to go for Timothy to be presented, and uh, Barnabas had to leave for Silas to come in. Sometimes God closes the door on one friend to bring you a new one. I know this is riveting, and you can hardly believe it. We'll hit you. Don't worry, we'll keep going. All right, the next one. Closed doors teach us the value of kingdom timing. Yes, it's all about timing. Yes, Paul would spend years in Ephesus. The Ephesian church would be his 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 place of greatest fruitfulness and greatest assault, but not now. Yes, but not now. God always answers prayer. He answers yes, not yet, or I have something so much better for you. I wish I would have learned that to say that to my children. That's a poor deceptive way of saying it, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, wait, or I have something so much better for you. Oh, you're going to love it. Timing is everything in the kingdom. You don't harvest peanuts in April, but October. You don't harvest tomatoes in January, but June. And you don't harvest watermelon in February, you harvest that in July. And, beloved, please don't think that you harvest everything at the same time. Timing is everything. A door closed on Monday could save your life. That door may open up on Friday, and now it's kosher to go through. See, that's why when we're being led by the Holy Spirit, it's really important to be sensitive, Because you may have a word of encouragement for someone in your life, but if you give it to them on Monday, it just very well may destroy your friendship. (laughs) Because they're not open. Have you ever tried to give a word to someone? You can't shake hands with a clenched fist. Try it. It doesn't work. Someone may be mad at you Monday and they have a clenched fist. And if you try to shake their hand, you're going to compound the problem. Some issues are so white hot that you cannot handle them. You need to, but not now. Timing, timing timing. Men, we need to learn timing. Women, we need to learn timing. You may have a lovely truth to impart, maybe 60 of them, but not Monday. He's not in the mood. So it it, it takes a degree of patience and sensitivity and sensitivity in our hearing to be able to know when the proper timing is. Remember Isaiah 50, verse 4, the Lord has given me the ear of the learned that I might hear and speak a word in season to him that is weary. It's not enough to have the right word. You got to speak the word at the right time, with the right tone, with the right body language, with the right heart. And that's really hard to put together sometimes. Of course, I do it perfectly every time, but those of you who I'm mentoring... So, beloved, the value of kingdom timing is everything. Closed doors may just simply teach you to wait. Next, closed doors are not necessarily rejection, but rather redirection. Shouldn't, you shouldn't read all closed doors as rejection. I'm horrible, I'm terrible, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, and I dress funny. That Don't take that route when a door closes. You can, but it's just not redemptive. It's not edifying. God may be redirecting you by closing that door and all 10 that he's closed this month. You have to choose. This is a redirection. It's not a rejection. I'm just being redirected. Have you ever thought of a closed door being salvation to you? Have you ever thought God might be sparing you? You know, I just can't believe it. I'm so alone and I'm still single and I'm still... Maybe he's protecting you, beloved. A closed door can represent God protecting your privacy and God protecting your dignity. So you don't want to bang on doors that shouldn't open. I remember... uh, hearing a sermon uh, by Pastor Joel Osteen and he and his brother were on an air flight and it was in a very small light plane and um, they were eating their food. And so they all took their trays down and the, the one tray that Joel had was not coming up at all and he just couldn't bring the tray up. And his brother Paul gets over there with him and they're both with all their strength trying to pull the tray up. They only found out later it was the opening latch to the door. And if either of them had succeeded in opening that door, everyone would have been dead. Has God maybe shut and slammed and locked a door and hermetically sealed it so you and your idiocy cannot possibly jar it loose? In the name of Jesus, you use his own name trying to open the door that's going to kill you and everyone on the plane. Well, we'll move on, of course, yeah, because things have gotten difficult now. Hmm. So you're not being rejected. You're being redirected. Also, closed doors are not necessarily punishment. They're preparation. When God closes a door, it means it's not time. You need to grow some more. I remember I was very young in the Lord. I was 16 and I was on fire for Jesus and I wanted to be a blessing to everyone. And a certain Christian television program let me on the air and they let me sing and they let me share my testimony. And I thought, oh, my God, this is the Macedonian door. This is my life destiny. And the lady running the network called me at home and she said, honey, you're so precious. We really love your spirit, but you're very immature and you need to grow and that was it. They didn't invite me back to the network. Now, I took that as a rejection, not a redirection, because I wasn't super spiritual like I am now. I mean, I was crushed, because my first thought was, I've seen all the fools on your network, and I'm smarter than any of them. That was my first uh, (laughs) attempt at making super glue and you know, I mentioned super glue. We had a saint here at Bethel once that took uh, uh, the little tube of super glue and put a drop in each eye. Oh. <laughs> thought it was eye drops. Can you unthink that? Can I bring you back? Nope, lost you. Lost the group. Now, here's the good news. She was taken right into emergency, and they put some emolument or something on it. She was fine. Didn't lose her sight. But, <laughs> We can't remember anything godly. We'll only remember that. Well, fine. <laughs> we'll mention that at the offering again, something you can't unthink. Also, next closed doors can help supplant or remove prejudicial thinking. Did you know this door closed and there had been a prejudicial strain in the Jewish community? They thought they were the holy huddle. They thought they were the frozen chosen. They always prayed, bless us for and no more. They believed that they had a centrifugal faith. We're it, not a centripetal faith. We're here to reach everybody outward. And did you know God, by closing these doors to Paul, broke that prejudicial thing that they had in their hearts about the Jews are it, the Gentiles are second rate. God said, I'm going to open the Macedonian door, send you west, and you are going to win all the bloody Gentiles in the world to Christ, including the emperor. So you need to get off your little prig horse. Now, everybody has uh, stereotypical thinking, by the way. We talk, what we all share is systemic sin, nothing else. Every other negative fruit comes out of our systemic fallenness. We are all equally, mutually fallen, and we can look at every group. Remember when we used to tell jokes? We told Polish jokes, but it depends on where you are in the world. If you're in Texas, it's a Texas Aggie joke. You shift who you're mocking, right? Everyone is stereotypical thinking. I can prove it right now. All men are. Fill in the blank. All blondes are. All white people are. All used car salesmen are. All preachers are. Watch it. Every one of us suffers from systemic, stereotypical thinking. I don't care. Fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what it is. Whether you're systemically against coffee and you love tea and that's your... There it is. We all have it. We all suffer from it to some degree. I just have to find it. I can talk to you for 10 minutes and I will find your strain. All right. Now, that's why the Bible says we're all systemically fallen and we need Christ. And when Christ comes into our heart, then he nourishes our roots of systemic fallenness. And then we begin to see the fruits of love and grace that begins to bring acceptance. Well, guess what? The Jewish people were the most systemically set against the Gentiles of anyone in the world. They called them Gentile pigs and Gentile dogs. That was the normative talk. If you were in the temple, the spiritual leaders hated the Gentiles, and they hated Jesus Christ. You know, hate's a strong word, pastor. It's the word. It was so horrible. It was so awful. They crucified the Lord of glory in a public humiliation ceremony because they were envious of him. They didn't like the crowds loved him. They didn't like that he was popular. They didn't like, they were just as systemically racist as anybody else. Just fill in the blank as to your category. Now, why do I bring that up? Because the closed doors, when Paul was told, no, you can't go to Ephesus Yeah, No, you can't go here. No, you can't go there. They're growing that whole time and they're confronting their basic restrictive thinking about the Jew being it and the Gentile being nothing and a second-class citizen. God says, sorry, both equal in God's eyes. That was a hard message for them to hear, by the way, because the Gentiles were dogs. They, they defiled you by walking into the temple, by walking by you and their shadow hitting you. So God wants to heal this. And he says, look, my gospel is for everybody. My gospel is for everyone equally. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close some doors and let, and did you know what they did while they were wandering in the text here? They wandered 300 miles. I call it liminal wandering. Remember our in-between series? You're not where you were. You're not where you're going to be. And you're what? Liminally wandering. You're in between. And they're wandering over 300 miles everywhere they went. Let's go here one door closes. I know we'll go here. The second door closes. Why don't we go 30 miles over here? The, the fourth door closes. These people were left alone thinking about the issues they needed to resolve. Has God ever closed some doors to give you a little time to grow, grow up in the things of God? So any negative binaries like the Jews better than the Gentile or men are better than women or uh, the East is better than the West, God had to confront them. Is he confronting you about any of your misguided hatreds? Because you see, his gospel is for everyone equally. And this, you say, well, Craig, it's America. We know that. Oh, no, 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 no. These folk didn't know that. They were not raised in America. They were raised in a culture that looked through bifocals. And so do you see how sometimes God will close the door so that he can rid you of any prejudicial thinking because the door of Macedon, we call it the Macedonian door. What does that mean? They're going from the east to the west. They're going from Asia to Europe. No one had ever thought of this. The gospel was a Jewish gospel to the Jew first. And God goes, no, read Genesis 12, 1. It was the goyim. Abraham was given the covenant with God, so all the nations of the world, but they turned it into a holy huddle. Have you ever turned your group into a holy huddle? Bless us for it no more. We are the Lord's chosen. We, you know what? The Lord has a lot more remnant people, and if you would open your heart up a little bit, you may have to learn that. They wandered 300 miles, no job, no guidance, didn't know what was going on. God said no. But they were learning a lot. They were growing spiritually. They were getting used to their new team. They were learning not to be binary in all of their restrictive prejudicial thinking. And I think God might be doing that too in our culture. Oh, no, it doesn't exist in our culture. What am, I, what am I talking about? Do you see? Judgment starts at the house of the Lord. Do you see? The church has to be the first group that is reformed in terms of the way they see other people and the way they see everyone under the blood of Christ. Well, he's quit to preaching and going to medellin So, the door God is about to... Now, now, why didn't God just tell him up front, go to Ma- I want you to go to Macedon. No, where are we? Paul wanders with his team and they're very depressed and they're very frustrated and they have no sense of guidance. Have you ever felt that way? And they wind up, they just wind up at the city of Troy, ancient Troy. And they are against a seawall. And they, after a series of closed doors, they have nowhere to go. And Paul is like the leader of this thing. You know, leaders have a great responsibility. Where shall we go, Lord? Let us kill Moses and go back to Egypt. The leaders have a great strength. Moses is wandering around, right? And all the people are starting to murmur because people do not, Christians don't like circularity. They do not like doors closed. They want an open door every five minutes. You know, amen. We were waiting for Gretchen's outburst. Now, did you know that there is a theology of no in the Bible? I call it a theology of no. Did you know God doesn't say yes to everything and never will? At four, Grant wanted a 44 Magnum. What did I do? Yeah, sure, baby. Daddy loves his baby. Daddy will never say no to his baby and just hand that and let him kill me and his sister. And well, there's a few folk. I should have given him the gun for it. No. God's theology of no. I want to give you real quick some examples of no in the Bible. God said no to Israel entering the promised land because of their unbelief in Numbers 13 and 14. Remember that? That was a 10-day trip. It took them 40 years to get there, and God said, no, you can't go in because of your attitude. Well, God will never say no to me. Hold on, honey. Hold on. He said no to Moses entering the promised land because of his sin. He was to speak to the rock and the water flowed. He hit it not only once, he hit it twice, ruined the type of Christ. And Moses was told, I know all your life you longed for one thing, to go in a straight line of conquest, but no, sometimes God says no. But here's the good news. He always has a redemptive yes waiting for you somewhere in there. So you can handle a no from the king because you just have to say, I don't understand it. Also, he said no to Balaam. Balaam wanted to curse Israel. God said, no, you can't do that. Can't allow you to do that because my favor's on him. God said no to healing David's child by Bathsheba. Remember they sinned and the first child they conceived got sick and and they said, "Heal, heal the baby. And God said, no, I won't. I won't. Yet Solomon was the next child conceived and God said, I'm with you. He said no to David. That's a hard thing to hear. He said no to David building the temple. Remember, David's one dream was to build a trillion-dollar temple, and God said, great idea, great heart. Love this guy. Isn't he amazing? No. But your son Solomon will be, I'll let you fund it. You give all the money to it. Isn't that a nice fatherly thing to do? I, I know what that feels like. You can fund it, Daddy. Oh, okay. He said no to Elijah because he had something better for him. He said no to the Syrophoenician woman to test her faith. Remember, woman said to Jesus, heal my my daughter. She's possessed. And Jesus said, we don't give crumbs to Gentile dogs. Well, that sounded rude. Mm -hmm. He tested her heart. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat crumbs from the table. I'm your faithful little dog. I'll be the best little dog you have. And Jesus said, for that saying, she's well. Sometimes he says no, only for a short period. So surrender to the no, accept it, and don't question it. It's a parent that sees more than you do. Parents, you realize you see more than your babies. I know they don't realize it, but you do. God said no to James and John because of divine appointment. Remember, James and John's mother came and said, Lord, uh, I'm going to extort a promise out of you. Let my two boys sit in your right hand and in your left hand. And Jesus said, ha, ha, ha. you have no idea what you're asking, lady. This is not a an appointed kind of category. This is, this is something that is earned. And we'll find out at the end of time who's earned the right to sit here. Sometimes he says no because there's a divine order here that he would have to like asking God to make a square circle, to make a stick with one end. I'd, I've seen people pray those prayers. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray two mountains without a valley right here. Never going to happen. It's illogical. It's unreasonable. It's impossible. So he says no throughout scripture. And listen to this one. Listen to this one. Today we find out God says no to Paul preaching in Asia Minor. Why? Because he ha- it's not the right time. Remember, God said no to removing Paul's thorn. Paul prayed three times. He said, no, son, my grace is sufficient. And finally, God says no one praying in opposition to his will. 1 John 5, 14 says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you and will answer. That implies that if you ask anything by faith not according to his will, the answer is nada, lo, nyet, <clears throat> And you can knock on that door. You can bloody your hands on that door. But the Lord said, if it's not according to my will, nope, no one has access. And I'm glad he is in charge of the doors that are open and closed because the doors I've tried to push open in my life would have ruined the world along with my life. Amen. So there is a theology of no in the Bible, and Paul's running flat, flat dab into it. But I want you to see, beloved, closed doors are only the place that ushers you into the first door open. Now what happens? Okay. So they've been banging around for 300 miles with no guidance. They're getting frustrated. They're hungry. God's shut them down. None of them is employed. They, they plop down at Troy, which was one of the most famous sites in the ancient world. And from where Paul was, he is at an end of his rope. Some of you feel, I'm at the end of my rope. We'll tie a knot and hold on. Because God is just about to give a vision to Paul in the night, the most strategic vision of his life. It's called the Macedonian vision. What happens? He has a man from Macedonia, from from the West, from Europe, appear to him in a dream, dressed in a Macedonian outfit. Okay, now I know some of you are sedents. You need a Macedonian dream. I mean, somebody dressed in full Indian regalia, or somebody dressed as a... <laughs> <laughs> world war ii german soldier just some something so blatant that you couldn't possibly miss it aren't you comforted that paul needed a really cartoon-like image and it's a man from macedonia dressed in a macedonian hat macedonian outfit with a macedonian accent and, and in the dream he says come over to macedonia and help us and it says after the dream paul perceived that the Lord wanted them to go to Macedonia. Now, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's how he has to speak to me. Not vague signs, not, not reading bird signs. <laughs> well, it could mean this or it could mean that. Don't you love trying to check your astrological sign? And it's so vague, right? And you're just like going, okay, you're, you're going to live another day. Okay, wow, that's deep. Paul needed something that wasn't vague or general. He wanted guidance. And all of us in this room I know are hungry and starving for a Macedonian vision, something we don't have to guess at, something that, and Paul woke up and he told the team, he went, oh, my God, I saw a guy from Macedon. Now, where is it? He's at Troy, and he's looking 60 miles over the sea straits to ancient Greece, Ah, the west And in that one vision of specificity, God says to Paul, honey, we're leaving the eastern birthplace of the gospel, and we are moving forever west. We are going from Asia Minor. We're going to go to Europe. I'm going to give my gospel to those grubby little Gentiles, because that's all you got over there. And I'm sending you, and Paul, by the way, if you notice Paul, all of his life he had a PhD in Greek thought, a PhD in Hebrew thought. He knew everything. When he looked over the 60-mile straits, he saw Alexander the Great. He saw Philip of Macedon. He saw Plato. He saw Aristotle. He saw Socrates. He saw Homer's Iliad. He saw the Odyssey. He, this man was so cultured and so well brought up that this was the point for a man of Paul's imagination. He had been studying his whole life to be the communicator who could go west and wind up in Rome itself and appear before Caesar. Beloved, you've been trained your whole life for the door that's just about to open for you. Someone say amen. It's a Macedonian door, but God's going to use Macedonian guidance, which means he's going to slam that one, that one, that one, and put you in a circularity of about 300 miles to wonder, am I really saved? Did God really call me? Am I really anointed? Why don't I have clear guidance? How come they left me? How come the divorce? How come all the closed doors of your life, beloved, are just about to make sense? Hold on. Hold on. In one night, Paul got one vision that made it so clear what he was to do that the whole team could get on a boat and they could go straight. Now Paul's confident. Where are we going, Paul? We're going, behold, to Macedonia, of course. Any fool of three you could see that now. He didn't know that two days ago. Two days ago, he's considering suicide. <laughs> If people saw our life, I mean your real testimony, the X-rated version, not the PG version. I hate PG testimonies. And then the Lord, I said one time, and the Lord saved me. Amen. No, no, don't sit down. Get up. We want to hear the R-rated testimony. What, particularly, pray tell, did he save you from? See, the, the, the devil's in the details sometimes, but the Holy Ghost is in the details. And the anointing of your ministry is in the details of your crushing. What he redeemed you from is what you're called to minister to. Some people say, what's God's will for my life? What what am I called to do? What have you been delivered from? What demons has he pulled out of your soul? That's your ministry. That's where your anointing is. Look no further. But that's nasty. It's naughty. It takes one to deliver one, whatever one that is. Amen? It takes a drug addict to reach a drug addict. It takes an alcoholic to reach an alcoholic. It takes a fill-in-the-blank to reach a fill-in-the-blank. And all your closed doors have shaped who you are, and now you're ready for the Macedonian door. And it's going to be something. Paul was a dreamer, but he never dreamt. We're going to go to Rome. We're going east to west. We're going from Asia to Europe. We're going to reach the emperor. What? There was no blueprint for that. You can say, well, it's in the Bible. It's clear. Well, it's clear to you in hindsight. But they were moving forward. They had no New Testament. Do you realize that? All they had was the 39 books of the Old Testament and their vague interpretation of those things. They've got Jesus now. The Messiah is here. The Holy Ghost is all over the place. They have no blueprint for this, loved one. And you have no blueprint for the door that's about to open for you because you can't get a mental picture of a dimension you can't experience. But it's going to be good and it's going to be bigger than you thought. I was reading a biography of C.S. Lewis, and Lewis died at my age. He died a few months before his 64th birthday, but he was single his entire life, and he met the love of his life and had only three years with her, and then she died of cancer. But he said while he was married to Joy David, and while they were together, he said, all the love and joy that I missed in my twenties and my thirties and my forties, I found. They said when he was with joy, his wife, he was being itself he 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 was naked and unashamed. He's an old man, but he said, How shocking of God that the love I missed and thought I would never have is brought into my life for a short time, yes. You see the movie Shadowlands. You'll see how it went. Shadowlands with Sir Anthony Hopkins. Go look at that if you haven't seen it. But boy, it—what if just for a short time in your life you could be being itself, no human doing, no ought, no should, just heightenly alive in the now, just just devouring God's goodness and devouring life and appreciating everything that God has given you. Lewis had that. He lost it, yes, but he said. I would have had it all over again if I only knew it was for that period of time. He was heightenly alive. God's about to open a Macedonian door for you, honey, and it doesn't matter if it stays open for months, days, or the rest of your life. You'll be sufficiently saponsified. Sufficiently saponsified. Well, that sounds like another bit of fairy dust and a magic wand. Well, what's he talking about? Don't get my hopes up. Stir not up my love, lest ye please. Well, listen, the Macedonian moment is here. Prepare your heart for it. When that door opened, Paul had all of his John Wick knives and guns and tactical gear on, and Paul went straight ahead and took over the world. This guy, this guy was the horse pent up and he, the door opened and he was released to fulfill his destiny. The Greeks defined happiness as the full use of one's powers along lines of excellence. The full use of one's powers along lines of excellence. You're about to have the Macedonian door open. I want to pray for you. I don't care if you have faith to believe that or not. This is what the Lord told me to talk about today. We're in a Macedonian moment. We're in a moment where you're postured for greatness, and guess what? We're not going to miss this door. It's going to be so clear. He's going to have to open the door and carry you over the threshold, chained if necessary, so that you can't screw it up. (laughs) Like Houdini, you know, Why is everyone in that church locked up like that? Because we don't want to mess up the next door. We will all carry each other through, amen, that we have to covenant with one another. That we're not going to let each other cower away or be frightened or be overwhelmed or I'm not worthy or what am I going to do? Paul was not worthy either. And he was attacked in every city he launched into. He was beaten half to death. And he had a thorn in his flesh, whatever it is. We don't know what it was, but it was something he despised. But God said, it's okay. John Bunyan said, he that is face down has no fear of falling. Stay humble. Let him carry you through the Macedonian door. I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, right now I extend my hand to your precious, precious children to your sons and your daughters, Lord, who you adore and you love and whose blood was shed to bring them life. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord. We've been through so many doors, so many closed doors. We've been beaten up. We've been, been assaulted by the enemy. We've been attacked by the world, the flesh and the devil. But I pray right now, Lord, that you would refresh the heart of your daughter right now in Jesus' name, that she would dare to believe that there is a beautiful door of destiny just before her, If she has unbelief, give her faith, give her confidence, inject into her very being a new sense of liquid confidence that it is going to be the door of a lifetime that's opening now. And she is going to go through intact, intact, heightenedly alive and she will finish well and she will fulfill the will of God for her generation I speak that over you in the name of Jesus and whatever the enemy is doing I command him to leave and and his mouth to be bound and to be shut and I pray Lord right now refresh your girls Lord give them a double dose of hope inject them with a new sense of happiness and giddiness that maybe maybe it's true that the Macedonian door is about to open maybe it's true that all the closed doors of a lifetime are going to give way to the most radical open door that we, beyond what we could think, ask, or feel to ask. I pray for my precious brothers right now, Lord, that, Lord, they just feel calcified, and they feel stuck, and they just feel numb. In the name of Jesus, Lord, inject them with a double dose of the Holy Ghost from coast to coast, God. Give them hope and confidence that with all the wandering and all of their mistakes and failures, that you are God, you're sovereign, and you've guided their life to this very day, Lord. Protect your sons. And, and again, put them in a straitjacket if you have to. Lift them up and carry them over the threshold of the Macedonian door. And all God's people said, amen, amen. It's true. It's true, beloved. It's true, Remember Jesus, our Lord. Aren't you glad he's the one that says the doors I open, no one can close. The doors I close, no one can open. Aren't you glad it's in his hand? He holds the key of David. He is the one you can absolutely trust to lock the doors that you cannot possibly pry open. We can trust him. I trust him. The older I get, the more, in hindsight, I see 2020 vision. I go, thank God he closed that door. Can you do that little inventory today? Here's your homework. On the way home, think of some doors that you thought were your first choice. And if you would have gotten it, you would have been dead and not in the service today. And he sealed that shut. And what you thought was your first choice wound up being God's. He used a secondary choice to redeem your life and to save you and to bless you. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. We hope that you are appreciative of what we do here. Those of you watching, if you have any prayer requests, please send them in. Amen. And if we feed you, you feed us. We'd sure love you to consider supporting us in this ministry. If you are fed, if you are blessed, if you are encouraged, then you encourage us. Amen. David, come on up. David Logeman going to bring the table of the Lord. Those of you at home, maybe you don't have professional implements, but maybe you just get a little a bit of juice or a little bit of bread or a cracker or maybe a little water, just, just anything that you have there on hand so that we can right now celebrate. And, you know, I like just to focus on the table of the Lord. We need to apply the blood and, and the body of Christ to this topic. And today I want our focus to be, Lord, slay my unbelief that has grown up in my heart because of all the closed doors, because of your age, because of your health, because everything that has made you doubt what I'm saying. Just say, Lord, I I, 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 I give that to you. I give you my unbelief. And I pray that you would allow me just enough strength to to believe that there is a Macedonian door yet ahead of me at my age in my circumstance with all my failures with everything I've lost with every door that's been closed Jesus I trust that you can still open a door that would be the crown of my life and my ministry amen
0: we hope today's message has been a blessing to you and if it has please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org there you can find additional messages of encouragement And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.